Hi there, and welcome to Vineyard Church Delaware County's podcast. My name is Michael Hansen. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I am so glad that you have joined us for this week's message. I'm going to have a little bit more to say at the end, but for now, enjoy the teaching. Uh, like Michael said, I get to wrap up our unwrapped series, no pun intended there, uh, where we've been looking over the last number of weeks at spiritual gifts. And if you've been either joining us, whether you've been listening online or you've just been hanging out in person, oh, there I can hear myself now, uh, or, or you've been here in, in person, since week one, we talked about, uh, very first week, we talked about the heart of God towards spiritual gifts. That God's heart towards us was to understand that we are gifted children of His that he wants to give us good gifts and use us and partner with us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and then over the, the next number of weeks, we talked about, well, what does that look like? What are some of the gifts that the Holy Spirit wants to give us and impart to us? And so we talked about the eyes of God, gifts of wisdom, knowledge, discernment. We talked about the mouth of God, gift of prophecy, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. And last weekend, we talked about the hands of God, gifts of healing and miracles and faith. And all, all those gifts we found, we've been focusing on 1 Corinthians t- uh, 12. And today we're going to wrap up, and to wrap it up, we're going to talk about the body of God. The body of God. Basically, what I mean by that is how do all of these gifts work together? How is it that God has intended that all of these spiritual gifts would work together? collectively. And beginning throughout this series, we have defined a spiritual gift as this, a God-given special ability given to a believer by the Holy Spirit to share God's love and benefit the body of Christ. The body. That to be the body, to be the eyes, the mouth, the hands of God is not for our own personal benefit. It's not so that we feel good about ourselves. It's not so that we feel important. It's so that we can bless each other so that we can lift up and care for each other. Now, for this to function properly, Paul, in his first letter to the Corinthians here, he says that it's basically going to require two uh, foundational ideas, for us to embrace two foundational truths about two main themes, and those themes are diversity and unity. Diversity and unity. Now, those are two very loaded words in today's age, right? We could talk about diversity and unity lots of different ways. We could talk about racial diversity, racial unity. We could talk about political diversity, political unity. But in this context, we're not talking about those things. In this context, Paul is talking about spiritual diversity and spiritual unity within the church. How do we embrace and balance these two things within the church to care for each other? And so we've been using this text from the beginning, Corinthians 1, 12 verses 4 through 11. It's been kind of our jumping off text. So if you have a Bible and want to turn to that or on your phone, we'll throw it up on the screens. But this time as I read it, I want, to, want you to, to point out that I notice that I have taken the liberty to adapt it a little bit and bold some phrases and italicize some phrases. The, the phrases that I've bolded talk about the theme of diversity within the gifts. And the words that are in italics talk about unity. So I want you to just notice how many times Paul keeps bringing this up. It says this in verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, diversity, but the same Spirit, unity, distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but all in all of them and everyone, it is the same God at work. 
Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Again, for the benefit of others. To one there is given through a Spirit a message of wisdom. To another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another miraculous powers. To another prophecy. To another distinguishing between Spirits. To another speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still to another the interpretation of tongues. And all of these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Diversity and unity. Diversity and unity. What Paul is trying to tell this young, fairly immature, kind of ego, egocentric Corinthian church is to understand that walking healthy in the gifts of the Spirit means embracing these two ideas. But too often, too often when we don't hold these things together or we have some misunderstanding about things, we can slide from one direction to the other. We can either slide from diversity and unity to division, or we can slide the other way from diversity and unity to uniformity. To uniformity. We can either, these are two major dangers that were creeping in the Corinth church. There was a growing division within the church, and there was a growing pressure to look alike, to have kind of experience, to, to everybody be looking kind of the same. And some of that division was happening uh, because those who seemed to experience and be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the more powerful gifts or the more seemingly important gifts, they were kind of being elevated in status. Those who seemed to experience maybe the lesser important gifts uh, were being kind of lowered and, it, and seen as a little bit inferior. And then there was this sense of uniformity, this pressure to all look the same. And we as human beings, we like things in nice little neat packages, right? We, know what, we like to know what we're going to get, what to expect. And so there was this pressure for everybody in the church to experience the Holy Spirit in the same ways. Uh, and if you don't, then there was kind of this pushing out happening of people. So we see Paul begins to address these warning areas in this passage that we just read. But he gets even more explicit and even more clear in the next very next verse, when he uses the analogy of the church being like a body, of being like a body. It says this, verse 12, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink, and so, even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Again, diversity and unity. Diversity and unity. And he goes on. He talks about the necessity of diversity in the next few verses. Listen to how important it is that we have all different kinds of parts functioning. It says in this, verse 15, Now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be, just as he wanted them to be. If there were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. A body only functions, right, when all the, properly, when all the various diverse body parts are working together. 
right? And are doing their, they're doing their separate thing, but they're working together in unity. Look how in the next section, he focuses more on being unified. He says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. Where our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, given greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So that there should be no division. Unity here. So that there should be no division in the body, but that the, body, that the parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you has, is a part of it. The diversity and unity together. This is what a beautiful picture and a, a great analogy of how to compare these two seemingly maybe different things, but how they need to be balanced and partnered together. Now, if you've been a Christian for some time, you've probably heard this analogy before, the body of Christ. You're the body of Christ, right? You hear, you've heard this, you know, many parts, one body analogy. And sometimes we can kind of take that for granted and just whoop, kind of goes right over our heads. Like we just kind of zoom right past it. But, but have you ever thought about why did Paul pick this analogy? Why did he choose to use the body, uh, the human body, as an example of what it looks like to be the church? Um, it's a great analogy, but he could have picked lots of other things to talk about diversity and unity, but he chose this. Why did he do that? Well, I'll tell you why. Paul was really, really smart. <laughs> he was really smart, and he knew his audience. He knew he was, who he was speaking to. See, Corinth, the city of Corinth, where this letter that he's writing to this church in, uh, to the Corinthians, Corinth was a pagan city. It was a city in Greece. It was not a Jewish city in Israel. It was a pagan city, and they, wor- they worshipped lots and lots of different Greek gods and goddesses at that time. And so there were temples all around Corinth, and one of the temples, one of the major temples in Corinth, was to a god named Asclepius. You can go ahead and throw this picture of, there's a statue of Asclepius there in the ruins uh, outside of Corinth of this temple that have been um, dug up and kind of excavated. But Asclepius is the, was the god of physical healing. He was the god of the body. And basically, when people had broken bones, blind eyes, deaf ears, when they had diseased body parts, they would go to this temple and they would worship Asclepius and they would actually uh, do this, have kind of an odd practice, but they would, they would have a, a clay replica of the body part that was injured or broken made. Either they would make it themselves or they'd have some artisan make it for them. And they would take that clay artifact of, of their ear or their eye or whatever it was, and they would basically give it as an offering to Asclepius. Separate from their body, they would say, like dismembered from themselves, this, this false part of they would they would give that uh, as an offering praying that Asclepius would heal that body part. So this, is, so this is the group of people that Paul is talking to. These young Christians who prior to meeting Jesus probably went to this temple, probably uh, worshiped Asclepius when they were sick or when they were injured. And so Paul is speaking to them and saying, hey, let me tell you what life with the real God is like. Let me tell you what life with Jesus is like. 
It's not some, it's not something where you can just dismember yourself and take your injured body parts and give them away and hope that they get fixed, right? No, it's about being connected together. It's about functioning together. It's about being healed and whole with and through the Holy Spirit. So he uses this analogy that they totally would understand. And interestingly, I don't think it's coincidence, but if you notice in this picture of Asclepius, he, on his staff, there's a serpent wrapped around the staff. Asclepius was also the god of serpents. And in the Bible, the serpent represents the greatest divider of all, the great deceiver, the liar. It represents the enemy. It represents Satan, right? And we need to remind, remember that we have an enemy that he wants to warp our use of spiritual gifts to divide us, to split us apart, to basically tear us into dismembered pieces of the body. And there are two major things that I think the enemy likes to use in us that cause division and, uh, and, and uniformity, and they are projection and comparison. Comparison and projection. Let me talk about comparison first. Theodore Roosevelt said that comparison is the thief of joy. The thief of joy. I think that's so true. Then when we get in a cycle of comparison, it seems joy is hard to come by, isn't it? Right? Negative comparison eats away and is cancerous to the body. It's cancerous to ourselves. It's cancerous to us as the body of Christ. Back in the 1950s, a psychologist by the name of Leon Festinger coined the phrase social comparison theory. Social comparison theory. And basically the idea is, is that we as human beings in our brokenness and our need to find identity and self-worth, that if we don't have, basically, he didn't say this, but if we don't have Jesus, if we don't know that our identity and self-worth is found in God, then we will look to compare ourselves to other people. That we will walk into a room and we will size everybody up just even subconsciously. Well, you know, whether it's based on intelligence or attractiveness or wealth or, or what success or whatever it is, we'll, we'll make these little, little tiny thoughts in our minds, we'll go through our minds of, hey, how do I measure up in this space with these people? And if we look around the room and we feel pretty good about our, you know, we, we feel like, hey, we're a little bit higher, well, then we feel pretty prideful about ourselves, right? We feel pretty special. If we look around the room and we realize, man, I don't measure up at all, then, then we can feel pretty, you have pretty low self-worth, right? We can be jealous and, and envious. And, and these kinds of things, these temptations to think these thoughts, even if it's subconsciously, we're not immune to those things in the church. We're not immune to those things. That we can walk into a church, we could, somebody could give a prophetic word at the end, and you could think, man, I, I don't think God would ever use me like that. Right? And you could leave discouraged. Or somebody could pray for somebody to be healed and, and you find out that they, they were healed and you think, I don't think I could ever do that. Or the opposite. And the opposite, you, God could use you in a mighty way and you could leave feeling really darn good about yourself. Right? And, and these seeds of pride could, could kind of slip in. One of the most subtle, destructive things that we can do that the enemy, the serpent, wants to do within the church body is to let seeds of comparison grow. And that would move us, that'll move us from the healthy balance in the middle of diversity and unity to, a, to a, the side of division. This hurts people. Uh, churches fall apart because of this stuff, even when it, when it comes to spiritual gifts. 
every gift is important. Every gift is important. And every person in the body of Christ is important and necessary. You are all important. You are all necessary. And the way that you encounter the Lord, the way you encounter the gifts of the Spirit, is important and valuable. The second trap, second trap is projection. Projection. And what I mean by that is where we have the temptation to project our spiritual gifts onto other people. To assume that because we experience the Lord in this way, do we experience God in this way, that other people are going to have the same experiences. And this can be very dangerous as well. Where, because what it can do is it can move us from, again, diversity and unity to the sense of uniformity. Where we all have to look alike. Uh, where, where if I'm an eye and I can see, why can't you see what's happening here? Or if I'm in here and I can hear God like this, why can't you hear God like this? You know? It's, a, it's kind of like a parent trying to fit all, take all their children and fit them all into the same certain mold. You know, maybe if that parent has a, has a high value in a certain area, high value in sports or high value in music or high value in art or whatever it is, and they try to push all of their children to be successful in that area, what is bound to happen is that it's bound to cause disunity, right, in the family. It's, it's bound to destroy unity and cause lots of division because what's going to happen is likely one of, your, one of those children is going to be good at those things, is going to excel, and they're going to feel, develop this sense of, I, I feel pretty good about myself, right? You know, mom or dad really is really proud of me. I'm really proud of myself, and there's this sense of superiority that develops you know, between the siblings. And, and then maybe if the other siblings are skilled in other areas, they excel in other areas, if that's not celebrated within that family, then they begin to feel inferior. They feel like they never quite measure up. They constantly have to earn or prove themselves, right? It can destroy a family from within. Um, unfortunately, projection happens within a church. It can be so hurtful. It can be to the point of even abusive, where leaders can unintentionally do this. And historically, even in the church in Corinth, it seems like if you keep reading in the next chapters, Paul talks a lot, a lot, a lot about speaking in tongues. It seems the Corinthian church has elevated the gift of speaking of tongues, saying this is so much more important. And historically, there have been churches who have done this as well, where we've basically said, hey, speaking in tongues is is basically an indicator of you are really used by God. And so what happens in those churches is the people who don't experience the gift of tongues, well, they feel, they, they're hurt. They feel lesser than. There's a, there's a pushing out. There's a, there's a, uh, a disunity there. And you know, uh, this kind of cookie-cutter uniform mentality, it leads to lopsided churches. It leads to lopsided small groups where basically everybody starts to kind of look like the leader. The thing the leader excels in, that's what they push, Right? And then everybody who excels in that, well, they, they feel good about themselves, right? But everybody who doesn't maybe experience it like that, they feel inferior. And so instead, uh, instead of looking like the body, they all start to look like an eye or they all start to look like an ear when we are meant to be the body of Christ. Instead of looking collectively all like Jesus, leaders will unintentionally make little mini-me's instead of little mini-Jesus's in their church. And our goal at VCDC, our goal here 
is that we want to be a, the full expression of the body of Christ. Where we want to be functioning in every part, every person, every gift is vital and important and valued. You know, everything that I feel like I needed to understand this idea of balance, of diversity and unity, and, and to not to fall into traps of comparing and rejecting, I feel like I started, started to learn this as a 10-year-old boy playing baseball. I played a lot of baseball as a kid, uh, and when I was 10, I was really little. Now, I've always been very thin. You know where I turned sideways and, where'd you go, Andrew? Uh, but I also was really short as a kid, really short. Shortest kid on my team, shortest kid in my class for, for many, many years. Um, so there was a lot of things I wasn't good at in baseball. Like, I was never going to hit it to the fence. Just never happened. But there was things that I was, that I did excel at. Where I lacked in power, I was very, I, I excelled in precision. I was really good at bunting, of all things, which isn't highly celebrated, you know? But I was really good at bunting. And one year, when I was about 10, my coach noticed this about me. And so he started to have me bat second every time. I would bat second. So my, my, one of my good friends, Nick, would almost always bat first. He was really good at hitting singles, and he was really fast. So he would hit it and get on first base almost every time. And then I'd go up second to the plate, and my coach would, you know, signal or whatever they did, you know, remember, I don't remember what they all were, but he would basically tell me to bunt. And at first I was like, okay, okay, but as the season went, oh, I just got so frustrated because I would bunt and I would, you know, and some pitches are hard to bunt. I would bunt, I'd lay down a good bunt, but I'd get out at first every time. There's no way I was going to beat it there. I'd get out, I'd go sit on the bench, but my, my buddy Nick would make it to second base. And then who would come up next? My best friend, Dustin. And Dustin and I were exact opposites. Where I was little and scrawny, he was a head taller than me, and he was like ripped as a little 10-year-old boy. He was like a little Hulk Hogan. Do you remember Hulk Hogan in the 80s? The wrestler? That was our favorite wrestler as kids. And he looked like him. He was just, just a beast. And with ease, he would just hit it to the fence almost every time. So here I am. I'm sitting on the bench because I just bunted. I got out. And he, would just, he blasted it to the fence, and everybody cheered. Nick came around, scored a run. Dustin was the hero. He got a double. And I just remember being like, I'm done. I'm done. I'm quitting. I'm so frustrated. Like, I just see everything. Why can't I do that? Why can't I do what they do? And anybody, I remember thinking thoughts of anybody can bunt. That's easy. That's easy. And I remember going home and just talking to my dad about it and being like, Dad, I'm done. I'm quitting. This is silly. I'm not doing this anymore. And he, I remember he said, Andrew, I need to tell you something. What your role on that team is super important. Your role is super vital. If you don't bunt, Nick doesn't get to the next base, you guys don't score runs, you don't win games. You are super valuable to the team. And I remember saying, yeah, but Dad, anybody can do that. Like, I'm, I'm, they're just giving me this easy thing. He said, no, I watched the pitch that you bunted today. It was a hard curveball. Everybody else on your team would have missed that. They would not have been able to do that. Don't, and basically, he was basically talking about don't compare yourself and don't project your gifts on other people. I did, he didn't use those lang that language, but that's basically what he's saying. And I remember being like, all of a sudden the light bulb went off. And I realized like, hey, I do have an important role in this team. I am an important person and member of this body. And I never thought about quitting again. I embraced it, even though I got out a lot. Every once in a while, I'd get the swing and, and hit a, get a hit or 
I remember one time even I bunted and got a triple. It was on airs, I think, but I was like, yeah, this is awesome. But, but for the most part, I got out, but I still knew that, as a te- that as a, my role on the team was super important. Super, and the same is true within the church. The same is true within the church when it comes to spiritual gifts, that no matter how God has gifted you, no matter how God has gifted me, that we are all super important, we are all super vital, and that if we choose to quit the team, if we choose to check out, if we choose to to give up, to really listen to the thoughts of the enemy, of you're not important, your role isn't valuable, then the whole body suffers. That's what we read here. When one part of the body suffers, the whole body suffers. And this can't just happen in this series and in this space. It can't just happen, you know, on this on these weekends where we're going through this or in this building, it has to happen out there. It has to become a way of life. We have to take this with us. We have to look for opportunities where God wants to use us together collectively in these kinds of ways. Let me just end with, with throwing out some applications, throwing out this. I want you to imagine this scenario with me. You can go ahead and yeah, throw up that. That's perfect. Hey, so I want you to imagine uh, John. John's an average guy, works an average job, lives in an average neighborhood. Maybe he lives in your neighborhood. Okay. And John lives next door to Wendy and Hank. And Wendy and Hank, let's imagine, they're, they're, they come to VCDs and they've been here in this series we've been doing. We've been talking about spiritual gifts and Wendy's been praying that God would give her gifts and she's been really wanting the gift of wisdom. She's been praying that God would give her the gift of wisdom. And she looks out her window one day and she sees uh, John raking leaves. We're about ready to start doing a lot of that, right? Raking leaves. And she, she all of a sudden just is praying for him and has this sense of, hey, remember how you've been wanting to invite John and his wife to your small group? Now's the time. Now's the time to go do it. Now's the time he's going to respond and say yes. So she goes out and strikes up a conversation with him. And, you know, does it kind of hard. She's nervous, but she's you know, wants to be obedient to the Lord. She goes out, and she does. She invites him, and to her surprise, he says yes. He, so he says, I'll come, I'll come. So they, they, he comes over to their house, to the small group, and they're all gathered around in a circle. You could throw up the next. Okay, they're gathered around in the circle, and at the end, they just, they're doing this thing about prayer ministry time, and they're, they're waiting on the Lord. And to be honest, John thinks that's a little weird. It's a little new to him. And so they start to pray, and one of the ladies, Karen, Karen in the group, you want to click the next one, Karen says, hey, I think I have a word for somebody, a word of knowledge. Is anybody in the group having stomach issues or intestinal issues? And John thinks to himself, I was going to call the doctor tomorrow. My, my, my stomach has been a mess for weeks. I was going to call the doctor tomorrow. So they say, can we pray for you? So, so Derek and Hank, they, they pray, and they say, they, and as they're praying, Derek says, hey, I think there might be something a little bit deeper going on here. I think that the root of your stomach issues, that there might be a spirit of, of hurt, of spirit of unforgiveness, or betrayal, or of, of a painful experience has happened recently. Has anything like that happened? And John just starts to bawl. John just starts to bawl and says, yeah, actually, uh, right when all this stomach stuff happened, my wife said that she didn't want to be married to me anymore. And then she's going to leave me. And so they, 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 you know, so, so Derek starts to lead him towards, hey, let's start towards praying for that and praying towards forgiveness and start on a journey for that. And Hank prays that he would be physically healed. And 
And like that, the stomach pain's gone. And collectively, together, they start to say, hey, do you see how God has been pursuing you? How much God loves you? That's because he wants you to know him. And they introduce him to the last person in the room, Jesus. And John's life has changed forever. Now, now, could that happen in your neighborhood? Could that happen in your small group? Could God use you in those kinds of ways? Absolutely. Absolutely he could. Absolutely. That kind of stuff is happening all the time. It's happening all the time. And John wasn't the recipient of one person being used by the Lord. He was, he was a recipient of the gifts of the Spirit collectively by the whole body. All these different people. And that's, that's a picture of the gifts working together, of us working together as a team in both diversity and unity. And what, what God is inviting us into is this awareness of not just in this space, but out there to be aware of how he might want to use us in these kinds of ways. It's not that we just gain this information and then tuck it away in the closet. It's that we, and we step into this invitation of God to embrace these kinds of things as a way of life. That this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus and to walk alongside him. Amen? Amen. Hey, let's stand up. Let's stand up. The worship team's already up here ready to go. Uh, but before we, we enter back into worship, you want to throw that one more? There's one more slide, I think, up there. Yep. Last weekend, Michael led us in this prayer, if you were here or watching online. He led us in this simple prayer that I think is a really helpful prayer as we go into worship to just m being aware and making ourselves present to God and wanting to be used by God. So, so let's pray this out loud together again here. If you, will you join me in that? So Lord, please awaken me to your presence and show me how you want to use me today. Amen. Amen. So we're going to worship and let's just be aware of how God might want to use us today. If you get any words or pictures or, you know, prophetic things, Michael's over here, I'll be over here, you're welcome to come over. Please come share those with us. Let's worship, and let's worship as the body of Christ, okay? Well, thanks so much for joining us today. I hope that what you heard has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and to contact us, go to vcdc.org. We'll bless you. Have a wonderful week.